Welcome and hello, everyone. We're officially live. Oh, a little banner on the screen there. There we go. Welcome, everybody, to Casa Live. It is Saturday. Happy to see everybody here. Adrian, Mick, Mark, Sliss is with us. Bradley, Pam, welcome, everybody. Uh, I, uh, I'm Logan, VP of the Board of CASA, with Alex, CO of CASA. Is it CO? What is your CEO. official title? I don't know. You're just Alex to me. CEO. I'm not your commanding CEO? officer. I am. I forgot the. I forgot the e. chief executive officer. Chief <clears throat> exceptional officer. That's what you are. Anyways, welcome to Kasai, everybody. Uh, we have a whole lot of stuff to discuss today. We have uh, a special guest, Martin Cullop, with us as well, uh, and a whole bunch of legislation towards the end of the show to discuss. So this is really uh, about. Uh, the WHO's FCTC COP10, which is just a whole mess of acronyms, which I'm going to see if I can remember this correctly because I asked Alex to verify this earlier. This is the World Health Organization's Framework Convention on Tobacco Controls Conference of Parties 10. Did I get that? Good job. Yes. Excellent. Wild. It's just too many letters, man. It's just too much. Um so Martin Culp will be joining us here in just a few minutes to discuss that. And then again, like I said, a whole bunch of legislation at the end of the, at the show for everybody here in the States. So I hope people stick around for that. Um, I guess, I guess that's, that's kind of the intro here, huh? I guess we're ready to yeah. go. We think? can get right into it. We can get right into it because our guest does not have a lot of time and, uh, and has been gracious enough to join us. So we're going to roll that beautiful bean footage and get right into it today. Ready? I'm Do ready. It. Welcome, Martin. Thank you for joining us today. I'm 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 honored to be here. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. So, folks, who special guest for today is Martin Collie, tax and also a writer, contributor, tobacco harm reduction advocate, uh, and uh, you were the head of the. It was at the international. Uh, oh man, I, I totally bungled your introduction. What is it you do at the Taxpayers Protection Alliance? Um, I'm, I'm, I work with Lizzie Stroud and Skip Murray in the Consumer Center, uh, International Fellow. Yeah, that's right. That's it. That was the word, Fellow. That was what I was missing. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your Saturday to join us. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll get right into this. Um, first of all, I know we've got some international viewers here, but for our folks in the United States, um, what is the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control and why should America care about it? Right. Uh, good question. Um, the FCTC is a treaty. Um, I, I regularly have to emphasize this because there are a lot of people who think the FCTC is a bunch of people, which it isn't. It's actually just a treaty. So it's a document, if you like. Uh, it was first negotiated in 2003 and uh, put into practice in 2005. And it's got currently 182 signatories. Um, uh, which are known as parties, and the parties are basically national governments. So it's a it's a very large global treaty. It's overseen by a bunch of people, which is the FCTC Secretariat, which is, I think there are about 27, 28 people in an office basically just working nine to five, administering uh, the treaty itself. And they have biannual meetings. Once every two years, they have a meeting. So this is the 10th one, COP10, Conference of the Parties 10. 
Uh, and there is also, I'm turning these kind of as a glossary, really, for what I might be referring to as we get into it, is there's also the FCTC Bureau, which is kind of like a, a board, like a, a, you know, a board of directors. And that's made up of six representatives of each of the six WHO regions, such as Europe, uh, Southeast Asia, EMRO, AMRO, Americans, uh, American regions, all those different regions. It's currently chaired by the representative from Eswatini, which is uh, a country which used to be called Swaziland, uh, obviously for its, its revolutionary public health <laughs> policies or something, I don't know. It, it generally seems to be that these countries are on this bureau because they are singing the tune that WHO wants them to sing. So, uh, and the, and it, it's probably best to describe bureau as the ones that make the decisions of what's going to be on the agenda for these meetings. Uh, they, the bureau is, it, it, it liaises with regional coordinators who, who spread their sort of information to all the regions. And in each country, there is someone who's responsible for receiving that information sending it to the national governments and then sending the information back to the Bureau of Responses from the government. So they're quite important with the Bureau. Um, this meeting in is happening in November. Uh, we won't know the agenda until 60 days before, so probably September, but we kind of get a, a, a good outlook on what they might be discussing because of the reports that are drawn up by the Secretariat, the administrative body, uh, which are then sent out to all the countries to kind of educate them on what's happening. And because it's a WHO, which is extremely hostile to harm reduction, uh, these things tend to be pretty bad reports. And so we know that they are discussing threats such as um, banning open vaping systems entirely. I mean, they're pretty unequivocal about that. That's what they want to do. The first mention of this came in a report at the end in December 2020. So they've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, they, they've spoken about banning flavours, banning nicotine salts, uh, redefining smoke to be something that is any visible aerosol that's created by a thermal heat source. So basically uh, vapour from a kettle, they would class as smoke. But the reason they want to do things like that is because they want to draw products such as vaping products, heated tobacco products, into the remit of the treaty itself, because the treaty is pretty rigid in how it's written. It was written and, and ratified by all these countries back in 2005. They can't rewrite it. They have to work within the terms of the treaty. So if they can make, uh, make it that vaping products and heat tobacco products produce smoke, then it can meet the terms of the treaty itself, which say that the the, the focus of the treaty should be on reducing the harms from tobacco smoke, not nicotine. So this is, you know, they have a bit of a problem with this treaty that they can't jemmy vaping into this without trying to bring it into the actual remit. How can you class vaping as tobacco smoke? Well, you have to somehow do that if you really want to apply the, the regulations, all the articles of the treaty onto vaping. And that's what they're they want to do this. Let's let's not sugarcoat it. This is what they want to do. And the only way to get this, you can't write to them. They have the meetings behind closed doors. They refuse any uh, uh, applications for observer status from consumer associations. You can go along. They give out 
public places, but they generally throw the press and the public out at lunchtime on the first day, and they want to do everything in secret, complete non-transparency. So the only way you can really get involved and and change how this conference is going to go is by talking in your own country to your elected representatives and using their power to change what's happening with the delegations that are going to go along. Remember, there's 193 delegations actually go, and this is where I'm going to get to the part of the USA, because there are 182 signatories, but the USA isn't one of them. It's one of the WHO members, but it signed the treaty. It was in negotiations with the treaty in 2003, and it signed it, but it hasn't ratified it. Now, I understand this is fairly normal for the USA because they want to keep control of what policy, you know, because this is a legal, legally binding treaty. So decisions made here are binding on the signatories. So the USA wants to keep some sort of control. But at the same time, although technically what's decided at these meetings won't directly affect uh, legislation in the USA, the WHO is a very powerful body. And if it does make these decisions, it's going to create immense political pressure on the USA, along with any other countries. Um, you know, if they decided, for example, we're going to recommend banning open vaping systems in every country uh, under the terms of this treaty, if they all did it, um, then you're going to have people arguing in your country, well, the rest of the world has done this. Why is the USA not doing this? So it's worth fighting against that because these are serious threats. I mean, these are... Uh, are uh, mentioned in these documents from the COP9, the ninth conference of the parties, which happened two years ago. They're mentioned in the scientific reports from, a, um, it's called TOBREG. They've got a new report on the science coming out in, in June, which is probably going to be even worse than what we've already seen. Uh, and also from, from other reports that the, the FCT secretary will be bringing up and sending to these delegations and to the focal point people, you know, through the Bureau, uh, and it's going to be negative because the WHO is very, very hostile. It's, it, it has reports funded by Michael Bloomberg. It has um, delegations sent from Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids and, and, and others. So it's something worth fighting for. And, um, and I'm trying to talk to consumers in as many different countries as I can to say this is something we should be doing and we should be starting it now while they're forming their delegations before they send them off to this meeting with their government positions already um sorted out does that make sense <laughs> yes yeah absolutely and you know we've been talking about this for uh, you know a couple of days and, and when we talked about having you on and, and talking about uh cop 10 um you know for for our for our our part in any of this and, and really what casa does is engaging our consumer membership um and so just so everybody who's paying attention to the live stream today um you know we will be working on putting up a call to action and and giving people advice about uh, who to contact, why you should contact them. And a lot of this gets into, um, you know, the fact that even though we have not ratified this treaty, we do have a leadership position in this, in this, uh, uh, in this, in this conference of parties. Uh, and it's not just the official delegates that we send, but our NGOs as well. Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids will send a delegation. Vital Strategies will send a delegation. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, there is this dissonance here between what the WHO and, and all of these uh, participating countries uh, want want to do, which is to just eradicate tobacco use, which is absolute fantasy. Uh, and, and then what our own FDA has said by way of product authorizations, uh, you know, especially when it comes to the, the sort of creative 
sciencing that they seem to be doing with redefining smoke. Um, and, and thank you for the notes that you provided beforehand. And if I, I'll just, you know, read a little bit here, um, you know, part of the, the FC, the, the FCTC, now you've got me all like, okay, I'm not talking about a body of people, but part of what the, I guess the secretariat is, is talking about is, um, you know, heat, not burn products. Um, those aerosols gener generated by chemical reaction involving heat are termed smoke. Uh, can aerosols of novel and emerging, emerging tobacco products qualify as tobacco smoke? Yes. Thus, strictly speaking, visible aerosols deriving in whole or in part from thermally driven chemical reactions qualify as smoke, even when combustion is not evolved. And I, I just took that and juxtaposed with uh, the FDA's explanation of granting a modified risk order for ICOs. And they get into, uh, I'll just quote right from, from their paper, the low temperature in the ICO system, which is roughly 350 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, the lack of an exothermic process, the similar levels of HPHCs as harmfully, harmful and potentially harmful constituents in the presence of and absence of oxygen, and the low level of nitrogen, nitrogen oxides in the aerosol of the ICO system with heat sticks suggest that combustion does not occur in the ICO system with heat sticks when it is used as intended. There is, and this is in bold letters in their, uh, in their write-up, there is sufficient evidence to support the following statement. The ICO system heats tobacco, but does not burn it. Um, that's direct from our FDA. And so, and also kind of, you know, it's touching back on why uh, Americans uh, should be concerned about this and can get involved is that we have representatives from HHS that go to this meeting and should be very vocal about the non-scientific way, although it, it sounds very sciencey what, uh, what the Secretariat is doing in their justifications, but ultimately they're not doing anything different than what the state of New Jersey did, which was basically say, well, if it looks like smoke, then it's smoke and we're going to ban it everywhere. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, and also you got to add that that they um, they are also talking about changing the definition of smoke and cessation as well on the back of this redefining smoking, and they use it in terms of heat tobacco and saying these aren't uh, proven to be smoke and cessation products. But even if they were, um, they're not. They're not. We wouldn't uh, approve them for smoke and cessation. So, sorry, they, I'll never explain that. They say that they haven't been proven to help people quit smoking. But even if they were, we wouldn't class them as smoking cessation because they still contain nicotine. So th that's that's the agenda that they're pushing for is that they're not looking, as the terms of the treaty say, to fight the harms of tobacco smoke. They're now trying to bring nicotine into the into the arena and try and go for a, a nicotine free world instead of a smoke free world. So that's kind of the the the, the direction of travel that they're they're aiming at with this this meeting. Yeah, and so um, I think that was uh, that was another bullet point that you, you you brought up here in the um, in in this kind of notes that we looked at before, um, and and also I, I think uh, that, so. There's a couple things here that go hand in hand. They want to uh, restrict or prohibit the use of nicotine salts, and then on top of that, uh, or in addition to that. I guess, establish some sort of global product standard where all vapor devices deliver 
the same dose of nicotine or or aerosol or both. Um, I, I don't what what. Yeah, this is talked about a lot. There's a there's a a, a scientist called uh, Thomas Eisenberg who's funded by the FDA, funny enough, and and um, and he's written a lot of uh, research about this thing called nicotine flux, uh, and that that is where they want to regulate the emissions of vaping products. So they don't want to restrict batteries. They don't want to uh, restrict the levels of nicotine because they think that's um, a pretty pointless thing to do because one of what part of the reason they want to ban open vaping systems is because we can change the level of, of wattage in, in in the devices and we can change the level of nicotine depending on how much nicotine we want they want to regulate so that you can only get a certain amount of nicotine at, uh, as the end user so this they call it nicotine flux and they want to regulate on this basis so they would basically say any any uh, devices would only be allowed to deliver a certain amount of nicotine over a period of time. So that would mean regulating the battery. Well, they'd like to get rid of open systems altogether, but regulating the battery strength, the, the nicotine strength, I mean, every aspect, so that all products would effectively be the same. They, they mention in their reports that they'd like to uh, restrict the amount of the, the puff duration. They'd like to put... Um, an interval between puffs, which you can't get around with the device. They want to stop you inhaling the nicotine that you would find personal to you and what works for you because they want to regulate it and they want to standardize it. That means regulating every aspect of the device and they call it nicotine flux. And they've, they've, they've all of these reports that, that uh, I've looked at, they all mention this in many, many places. There are dozens and dozens of mentions of nicotine flux in a number of different documents so that this is something they really think is a is is a goer uh the, this thomas eisenberg has done a lot of research about it um it seems to be something that the who is quite excited about and and i'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to be debated and discussed at this meeting in november and i i you know uh, just personally i i you know looking at what fda has done I, I i have to wonder how much help um fda will be in this matter because essentially all of the products that they've authorized so far come in one nicotine strength and we, we don't have any kind of formal standard here but the, they they seem to be creating that and you know we have a de facto uh product standard that you're only going to get one nicotine strength across the line uh mm -hmm. and and one and maybe two flavors um so it, it's, which I think speaks to one of the reasons why we, you know, above and beyond the fact that we want to retain, you know, the, the United States wants to retain control of our policies, that we are not a signatory to this because we've already implemented a lot of the things that that FCTC is looking to do. Yeah, that's right. It, so it, the WHO does have influence, even though, like you said, um, the USA hasn't ratified it. They still follow guidance from the WHO and um, and will implement things if they're recommended by the WHO. If the if the USA decides it wants to agree with it, but at the same time, in 2017, the US the US did come out and, and nail its colours to the mast of harm reduction, didn't it? And and they were they were saying that this is something that we should look for, look for look look to for helping uh, public health in the USA. So. If the WHO goes too far, um, we would hope that the US would stand up and say, no, no, we, we disagree with that. Because although they are uh, they haven't ratified, the US hasn't ratified the treaty, 
it still has a lot of influence. It's allowed to speak in the sessions. Um, it, it's a major funder of the WHO, so it has a lot of power in that that respect. Um, it, 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 the only thing it can't do is vote, basically. It can act like any other party, but it can't vote. But there's no voting anyway, because the whole thing is done on consensus. And they basically get to a, a position that everyone can agree with. And then they say, yeah, we're all happy with that. That's it. So what we would ideally like is for the US delegation to go along. And if, I don't know, say the UK or the Philippines or any other country stands up and says, listen, you have harm reduction mentioned in your treaty. We want to know what that is. We need you to respect that and adopt it and 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 use it. And the, the USA should really, if it's following the official FDA policy, say, yes, we agree with harm reduction too. So that's the kind of thing we, we'd like US citizens to try and get uh, get the delegation to do to stand up for those things. They can speak in these meetings. They can um, just just if someone mentions it, back them. Maybe even say, how about we organise a working group to look at tobacco harm reduction and and how helpful it could be to public health. The USA can do that. There are lots of things the USA can do. And and I gave you an example, didn't I, Alex, about how influential the US was back in uh, COP two uh, years ago when. It actually asked to be involved in discussions about guidelines for Article 5.3, which I think many people watching might know about. But this is interaction with um, with the tobacco industry. Um, Article 5.3 was extremely restrictive, but the US came in and, said, and massively toned it down, significantly toned it down. They were involved in all the meetings uh, to do with developing those guidelines. And... And it's it's consistently misapplied now to say that no one can talk to anyone from industry. But that's not the case. What it actually says is that if governments talk to industry, they have to be transparent about it. Mm. And the USA were uh, instrumental in in making sure that that wasn't worse than it was. So they can get involved if they want to, and they're allowed to get involved if they want to. So, you know, what, what we'd like the delegations to do is, is in these meetings, they, they can speak speak positively about harm reduction. That that's because you know it is official FDA policy. Um, you know, back any requests to uh, ensure that harm reduction is acknowledged in these meetings, and speak in support alongside other other countries uh, as well. So um, it shouldn't be too big an ask, really. That as as they're not. Uh, as they haven't ratified the treaty, the US can say just about whatever it damn well likes. You know, it's t- it's unaccountable and it's very powerful because it's a big funder. You know, when the USA speaks, um, there's not many going to oppose them, and it could also help influence uh, lower lower uh, low income and middle income countries where they take a lot of guidance from the WHO. A big country like the USA coming out and saying something in favour of harm reduction can really help to influence some of these smaller countries to think, you know what, maybe we should look at this. So it's a very important country, even though you're not actually uh, officially ratified the treaty. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the easiest thing for us to do. All we have to do is point to things that FDA has already said. That's, mm-hmm. you know, they're the regulator in charge of authorizing or denying these products and 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 are charged as being a scientific organization uh, in reviewing those things and our Tobacco Control Act um, which I'm sure at the time kind of went uh, maybe even a little little further than um, what what the WHO was able to do. Um, you know, we actually have a a, a, a law uh, that 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 uh, not only spells out who is supposed to regulate these products, but 
uh, an acknowledgement of harm reduction and that there is a pathway for manufacturers to, to make those claims and market their products accordingly. Um, and the other thing, I, I know that you brought this up for people who uh, haven't seen it yet. You were on Regulator Watch with Brent Stafford uh, a little over a week ago. Uh, excellent, excellent piece. Recommend, you know, when you're done here, if you want to learn more, uh, go check that out as well. Um, but one of the things that you talked about was that um, I guess the FCTC is somewhat unique in the fact that that industry is so restricted from participating. I mean, even, uh, you know, climate treaties uh, involve industry. Um, and I, I mean, I know the answer, but this is this is an interview of you. What what why should industry be more involved with this and why should industry be involved in, in sort of, you know, world changing, society changing type treaties like this? Well, yeah, this is an unusual treaty in that respect, that industry is not involved, consumers are not involved. You know, we've all heard the term nothing about us without us. This is, this is a, a, a widely, uh, widely accepted practice in, in medicine in general, that, that consumers and people afflicted by policies that come out of these things should be consulted. And yet the, the, the consumers are completely locked out. No one is allowed to go. Industry is, is shunned completely. There's just a, an absolute paranoia about anyone seeing what they're doing. Now, we understand, obviously, international treaties, there's a certain amount of, of, of work has to go on behind closed doors for, for many good reasons. But, but to not accept anyone who disagrees with this almost um, religious um, <laughs> pursuit of prohibition that the WHO seems set on. And it's it's irrational hatred of industry based on things that happened 50, 60 years ago. Um, well, it, it, it just it just doesn't make sense. And, and you have to suspect, as I do, and I, I say quite often, that they only do this because they don't want to debate industry, they don't want to debate, debate consumers because they know they'll lose. And so the only way they can get these arguments through, and they're barking. Some of these things that are in these reports that we've been talking about are absolutely barking mad. The only way they can get them through is by making sure that people who object and people who have a valid uh, argument against them are not included in their discussions. So um, there are, you know, there are countries like the UK, New Zealand, Philippines, I've mentioned, and, and, and others that, and I think Thailand is talking about regulating vaping instead of banning it soon. So there is a little bit of a movement in that direction. And hopefully we can get some, or hopefully some uh, delegations will stand up for themselves and, so, and defend their country policies and say, we're not going to do these things. So if you want consensus, we're not going to be part of it. So you'll have to find another way around something we can all agree on. And it would be good if the USA could stand up and support those countries. So it'd be great if consumers in, in the USA could write to their elected representatives, ask them who's on the delegation, because I want to write to them. Who is the person who speaks to the Bureau? Who, who The Bureau, for example, um, had a meeting in November, at the end of November. They've got another meeting uh, at the start of next week in, in a couple of days, and they haven't published the minutes from the last one yet. Now, considering the Bureau is the one that makes the decisions of what's going to be on the agenda, what have they got to hide? Why haven't they published these things? So write, write to who's on the delegation. That document uh, you mentioned, Alex, maybe write to the guy at the top and who's the head, head delegate and say to him, um, you know, what's the Bureau saying? What, what is likely to be on the agenda? What is up for discussion in this meeting that's happening on Monday? We don't know. And we should know. You know, if we're not allowed to go, we should at least know what they're talking about, what's likely to be on the agenda 
and and so we can write to our elected representatives in any country you're in and and say we we disagree with this and we want you to stand up for us when you go to the meeting so please send someone who knows about harm reduction and someone who can who can have a decent argument against this support your own country's um regulation you know the uk delegation you have to go along and say look we we heavily reliant on vaping for smoking cessation in this country. You must go to this meeting and stand up in the interests of harm reduction, vaping products, it, because that's your policy. Stand up for it and just and don't let the WHO get away with these barking ideas. Yeah, and uh, I know that uh, you know folks watching this may not be able to read the screen, but this is so. This is the list of delegates from two thousand nine, um, and or, I'm sorry, COP nine. I'm getting numbers. Um, and but we have you know we've got folks from the Department of State um, and uh, CDC uh, you know CDC and, and and FDA Center for Tobacco Products someone someone is represented there uh, and so I'm I'm sort of lo- working through this list and finding out um, you know best ways to to contact and and we we do plan on getting an engagement up probably in the next week or two um, to to start getting people going but before we let you go uh, and uh, uh, and I'll get to the uh, legislative section of this. Might, might be a good lead into this. You know, you mentioned uh, some of the arguments that are sort of developed uh, th- through these meetings and 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 are are uh, promoted by the World Health Organization do end up in front of legislative committees. Um, what what if any of these arguments have you heard and seen in some of the testimony that we've done around the country? Uh, and and are are lawmakers buying this well uh, you know I, I i've done a few state hearings um, you guys are, are immense you understand the, the, the system better than i but i try and do some and i watch quite a lot when i when i'm not actually speaking and one thing that comes up regularly is is a reference to who you know the american lung association american cancer society uh tobacco free kids they'll all be there and they will they will cite the who and say the who says this about vaping the who says this about flavors and what have you so if the who is allowed to get away with some of these these proposals and they put them into decisions and declarations then that's just going to be more ammunition that these people are going to use at state level to throw at legislators to say they'll just say look at the who this big organization it's a massive organization. They look after the world. They cradle us and look after our health. And they say these products. They say we should ban flavors. They say open say open systems should should go. They should, they say nicotine flux. They say ban nicotine salts. And and if these decisions come out at the end of of COP ten in November and they are not looking good, then that's just going to be open season, isn't it? At state hearings across the USA. Yeah, and then I, maybe maybe one final question, uh, and then we'll open it up. I think we've got a few in chat, uh, and I promise we'll just a few more minutes. Um, uh, or is there anything built into the FCTC in, in terms of, I, I would say, post post market surveillance? Is there is there any requirement that member states are are studying the effects of these policies and reporting back to somebody, or is it just they've just decided that this is going to work and there's no need to monitor it? The reports, the reports, the Tom Bregg report, which is um, the scientific evaluation uh, that they do, is basically uh, their scientists and they, they cherry pick a lot of their studies. They do occasionally say some fairly positive things about vaping. For example, they acknowledge that 
that flavours um, are useful for adult uh, smokers wishing to quit. But at the same time, they say attract kids, so therefore we should ban them. Uh, they accept that nicotine salts deliver nicotine more effectively than free-based nicotine. But they only see this as a threat because it can addict, addict young people and people who've never never smoked before. So they're always looking on the downside. Um, uh, there's nothing really about post-market surveillance, which is why I said it would be great if the US would suggest a working group on tobacco harm reduction to properly evaluate the science. And that would probably rope in that post-market surveillance you said. You could say we could look at this this country where they've done this approach and this country where they've they've prohibited things and then have a look at what's happened with that. And we know that they will find that there will have, there'll be uh, bigger declines in smoking in those areas where where they've allowed vaping to work than in the ones where they're prohibited, where you'll just end up like Australia with huge black markets and and, and all sorts of chaos. So, you know, that's something that, that the USA, it would be great if the USA suggested something like that. Whether they will or not is maybe me being fanciful, but they have the power to do that. And that's something that really could be useful. But at the moment, we're not going to get it. I'll just add one thing which I haven't mentioned is, is this harm reduction idea. I, I did. I, sh I probably should have uh, stressed it a bit more. You know, we, we know, obviously, that harm reduction is mentioned in one of the articles in the preamble, Article 1D, that speaks about harm reduction being uh, a, a part of a suite of, of ways of helping people to quit smoking. Um, but the WHO has always tried to shy away from that. They try and ignore harm reduction in all these meetings because they, they don't want to accept vaping as harm reduction. Um, but I think pressure is getting too big for them now. So I suspect they will mention harm reduction this year, but they'll probably do the same as what they're doing with smoke. They'll try and redefine it as something else. They'll probably talk about harm reduction is is prescription model. Yes, you can have your vapes, but they have to be on prescription. They're going to have to be about four milligrams maximum and they've got to jump through even bigger hoops than the PMTA process. They have to be, you know, uh, medically licensed or something. I expect that's the sort of thing they'll do. So really, um, if the FDA and if the USA government truly believes that harm reduction is something, and they have, you know, I know it's not many, but they have regulated or authorized some products. So they must somewhere believe in the, in the bowels of the FDA that these products can be helpful. They should be going to this meeting and standing up and speaking in favor of harm reduction because it's part of their policy. And all we have to do is get them to do it and just say, go along to this meeting. And when all these stupid proposals come up, say, no, we ain't doing that. Be America, just say, no, we ain't doing that. <laughs> nice. Well, um, I know I saw a few questions uh, streamed really, by Logan. Did we I really had one uh, that I wanted to highlight here from Janine. Uh, earlier we were talking about nicotine flux uh, and this kind of global product standard around these products. Uh, and Janine said, that's crazy. So no one would have the ability to step down their nicotine. And I think that's that's something that, you know, is one of the the pillars of what makes vaping work so well is that people have that ultimate control. Uh, somebody can switch from smoking to a, a high milligram product, and then they have the ability to then, alongside with open systems, step down their nicotine uh, if they choose to, or even ultimately down to zero, and then, you know, quit altogether if that's their choice. This kind of 
global product standard around making all of these products the same, delivering the same amount of nicotine at a certain rate for a certain puff duration, whatever, eliminates that possibility. Right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a control thing. They want to control everything, basically. And that's that's you know public health generally, you know, across all different policy areas. They want to control. They want complete control. So this would give them complete control. They could say we we're going to control the emissions from these products. Um, it's it's kind of similar, you know. Over there, you you, I, I don't know. You do you don't. Okay, you've got this PMTA process going on, but before that, you had products that are not allowed to be sold in the eu because we have this cap of 20 milligrams on on the nicotine strength whereas you had the, the dual products were 50 milligrams and when i went to america i was able to buy bags of them to bring it bring back to uk vapors so um that at the, at the same time that did that had the same effect it, it stopped people you know i i quit first using i think 30 milligrams and so it, i it probably wouldn't have worked for me back in before the TPD came out, the EU's Tobacco Products Directive. And and there are a lot of people who, who vaping doesn't work for now because of that cap. And, you know, I'm I'm much, I'm down to about 16. I don't think I'll go any lower. I'm, I quite like my nicotine. But, you know, I started off by 30. So so that that uh, nicotine cap stop will stop many people from starting on something which helps them quit smoking and then dialing it down. But with this, I mean, I have to stress, we don't know what the level of emissions will be, but likely it's going to be very precautionary if it's coming from the WHO. Um, The first, when we were fighting against the TPD originally in 2012, around then, there was this, the first thing they wanted to do was reduce the, the, the amount of nicotine to four milligrams. Uh, So 20 milligrams was actually a bit of a result. In the in the long run, but yeah, it would be exactly the same thing. They would just they want to control everything that comes out of a of a vaping product, and they specifically mention closed systems. They, they're very anxious to to get rid of open systems because they they you can put your own things in it and you can modify how the thing works. They don't want you having any control over anything. They want complete control of what comes out of the cigarette at the end of the day, and they think this nicotine flux is the way to do it. So yeah, it wouldn't help anyone step down. You couldn't even start on something high. But I don't know. They might they might start on twenty. Let's be generous to them, but it's likely to be less than that, isn't it? There's there's a push. It's a completely different show, but and probably not for the USA. But there's a push at the moment with regulations in Europe to try and force manufacturers to drop that to fifteen milligrams. So via taxation, but that's a different thing to talk. About. So yeah, it's gonna. I expect it would be on the low side rather than the high side. Yeah, it seems well, we've to be seen, the... you know, we've, we've seen the nicotine cap bills here in the United States. I think 36 or 35 is kind of where they've landed uh, in a lot of these. Uh, I don't know that I don't know that we've seen any of them pass, um, but I, I think there was one in Alaska that came up this week. So um, certainly already trying to do something similar here in the United States. I say it seems, uh, you know, the, the major components around, um, you know, vaping that seems to be the most appealing, I think, to, to people who smoke are the things that they're trying to eliminate, you know, outside of uh, sensory things, ol- olfactory, you know, uh, oral fixation, visible uh, aerosol, whatever, outside of those things, everything else, the flavors, the adjustability, customization, nicotine strengths, those things that are really the pillars of what make these products so appealing and satisfying to people, those are the things that have to go. 
you know, that's, that's what's unacceptable. Um, one of the yeah, other comments, and I just wanted to thank Christy for this. We were talking about the delegates going, uh, and Christy said, send Logan. No, <laughs> don't send me. There are people far better equipped to do this than me. Uh, I would love to go and be a fly on the wall for all of this, but uh, other than that, no, but thank you. You could ask, you could ask, you know, what, what I think uh, Nancy Lucas down in Southeast Asia is asking is, is you can put, they can, any, any delegation can have as many members. I think Philippines last year had 51 people went there. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, some have two or three, some have lots, uh, but they, they can choose, each government can choose who wants on the delegation. They could have a consumer on there, which Nancy is asking for, but at least have someone who's an expert in harm reduction on it. So that could be included. I mean, look, I'll, look, I'll throw my hat in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't just send bureaucrats. You know, send sure. someone who knows about the subject. Send someone who 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 has a knowledge of harm reduction, has knowledge of the real science behind it, not just what the secretary is picking out, uh, cherry picking to, to send to the delegation. Send someone who's actually an expert in this subject, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think, you know, and that uh, that's a good place to, to wrap things up. Thank you for spending your, your Saturday with us. Uh, and we'll let you get back to, to not being burdened with all of this nonsense, uh, at least for a few <laughs> hours. Um, and, and just so everybody knows, you know, the, the result of this conversation is us getting a better idea of how we can uh, connect all of you with our, our lawmakers or people in the delegation and make sure that we can we can encourage them to, to be supportive of our friends around the world, supportive of harm reduction and supportive of people who smoke who want to, you know, just live a better life. Yeah. Um, and so look for that in the next couple of weeks. Um, but uh, in, in, unless we've glossed over anything or not addressed anything to your satisfaction, Martin, uh, we'll, we'll call it a, a day for you. And, and, uh, and thank you again for coming on the show. No, it's been great. Thanks very much for inviting me and Logan and Alex. It's, it's been really good. It's great speaking yeah. to you. Yeah, it's thank awesome. you. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure and we appreciate your time. Really quick, though, before you go, uh, where can people find you? Are you on Twitter? Are you on uh, social media where people could follow you? Maybe if you have if you're putting out other information about this going forward, uh, people would like to to hear what you have to say as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter as at Nanny Free State. <laughs> I'm not too keen on the nanny state. <laughs> so, um, and I have, I've been, I've, I've been not a fan of the nanny state for a long time. <laughs> so, so it's easy to remember. Nice. But yeah, well, thank you so again much. so much. Right. Yeah. Appreciate it. See you. Martin Cullip, everybody. Yeah. Wow. Cop 10. Yep. What a joy. The World Health Organization's Framework Convention on Tobacco Controls Convention. No, Conference of Conference. Parties 10. There we go. There you go. <sighs> wild, wild stuff. And it really is. It's all about control, I, I think, is at the end of the day. Um, so Martin Cullop, you know, at Nanny Free State is, uh, is the perfect person to have on to, to discuss all of this. Now, Alex we have a whole mess of things happening here. We do. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. I have more bean footage. Do the I'm beans. Roll it. So now that we've talked about the global state of things, let's get back to uh, let's get back to what's going on right here in the United States. The floor is yours, sir. What do we have going on? 
Well, I first of all, I didn't want to bore everybody with just a, a long list of bill numbers and blah, blah, blah. If, if you live in a state and you're concerned about legislation, uh, then go check out our nice clicky map on the website. Just go to Get Involved, State and Local Issues from the drop down, and you can, you can select your state from the map and see what's going on. And in most states, there isn't anything going on, uh, at least that, that we're aware of. Uh, and and just so folks know, we have connections with folks who work in government relations in the industry, folks uh, like like Martin, who are you know think tanks and and, and you know, policy people. Uh, so we have a, a lot of feelers out in the world to see what's going on. Uh, and even with that, sometimes things slip through the cracks. We do our best. Um, but if you do want to find out what's going on, definitely check out the website. Uh, I will, of course, talk a couple of specific states here. Number one, New York State, where Logan and I live, unfortunately. Um, the scenery is beautiful, but the policies are just... I always tell people the same thing. I'm like, I love this state, man. Like, geographically, <laughs> except for the dead of winter, like, I hate February, but we're past that now. New York is a beautiful state. I mean, we have we have mountains and lakes and, and just beautiful countryside. It's just our government <laughs> that yeah. just for lack of a better term, often stinks. Yeah, yeah. Albany could probably use a bit of a makeover. Um, but yeah. uh, so what we have going on here is uh, the state budget is due on April 1st. And just like what we saw in 2020, um, there is a, an anti-tobacco harm reduction language as a, a section. It's part O uh, in, in, in the bills. Uh, there's an assembly and a Senate version. And uh, I, I have not checked up on it today, but the last time, which is earlier this week, um, checked in, there were some amendments to the tobacco language, I think that exempted some of the combustible products, probably gave some special treatment to cigars, um, but they have left in a flavor ban, which will apply to everything. Uh, so if you like nicotine pouches like I do, um, those flavors may be prohibited in New York state. Doesn't mean you can't buy them, just means you can't buy them legally. Um, and, uh, and of course, vapor, uh, is already banned in, in New York, but what happened in 2020 was they left that little kind of exemption for any product that receives a marketing order from FDA, which is an appropriate exemption. We don't want to see States banning flavors, but, uh, it, it deferring to the federal standard is, is sort of customary. And, and what's, I mean, if you're going to be a jerk about it, at least, do it properly, which is deferring to the federal regulator. That is the agency that's going to review product applications and make a determination whether or not these things should be sold. Uh, the state doesn't do that. The state's not going to do that. Uh, and so it, it's it's really not the state's place to, to just indiscriminately ban things before scientific review. That is the proposal on the table in New York, as far as I know. Um, I, I I could be completely wrong about this too because the budget process in New York is notoriously opaque. Um, public hearings in this state are by invitation only, which is sort of the antithesis of a public hearing. Other than I guess you can watch, um, you just can't really have much input unless you directly contact people. So we currently have a, a call to action for New York State about this budget language. Uh, if you live in New York, definitely get those email fingers going, uh, edit the letter, tell your story, customize it as much as you can. Uh, if you don't have time or you just don't feel like writing, then you can send what we've written and we hope that our arguments are persuasive. Um, and also on uh, one, one area I will give New York State some credit is on the Senate website. 
uh, you can go and comment directly on the bills. So it's, uh, is um, websites and section of newspaper Hang articles. On, you, you broke up there for a second. I don't know if it's me or if it's your connection, um, but would you mind just repeating that last like two sentences? Sure. Um, there is a chat feature, basically a comment chat feature underneath every piece of legislation on the state's New York State's Senate website. Uh, so all the bill information is on our call to action for New York. And of course, you know, the filling out the form and, and just sending your message to lawmakers is there, too. But we are in the last I think we have less than a week left. Uh, I can't really do. Yeah. So Friday, Saturday next this coming Saturday, New York State's budget is due. And there is some very threatening anti-harm reduction language in the budget. Um, around the, the country here, uh, I'll start with the good news. Actually, the rest of this is kind of good news. Um, we saw uh, bills uh, in Idaho, a vapor tax, um, where I saw some actually very compelling testimony from a lawmaker on, on the side of the aisle that we regard as, as hostile to all of this. Uh, in which he told a story about his high school uh, students on on sports teams. He's a coach, and when he started, um, he noticed that a lot of his athletes were struggling, uh, and and their performance was was notably uh, lower or less than it could be because they were smoking cigarettes. Fast forward to you know the mid 2010s when the youth vaping epidemic exploded. Uh, he went into the locker room one day and and basically caught you know, kids in the act of vaping. Uh, and so he knew that his athletes were, were vaping, but he didn't see the same decline in performance. And so just that one kind of experience showed him that vaping was not nearly as harmful as smoking. I was honestly astonished to hear a lawmaker from, you know, the dais at, at, at in a committee hearing, um, uh, sharing this story because the the narrative that we are you know being pressured to accept is that there is no harm reduction for kids, um, which is total nonsense and I think ultimately counterproductive. And um, and and yes, as, as Mick has written in the uh, chat, what youth epidemic that, that which you know just never really happened. I, we had an increase in use, but uh, epidemic really isn't the word that you would you would choose for that. Um, so uh, uh, that was a, a really good bit of testimony to hear. Um, and I, I will um, another I, I'm flipping I'm back and forth on what I'm supposed to be talking about here. But uh, I did just notice from my list, Minnesota is another place that we're keeping an eye on. The good news is that the bill that contained a flavor ban uh, didn't go anywhere. But there is still a risk that like New York, similar language ends up in an omnibus must pass budget bill. Uh, which is much more difficult to get involved in and, and get those things removed. So um, New York and Minnesota uh, may be looking, Minnesota is a maybe looking at budget threats, New York definitely. Um, and so uh, that's the sort of lukewarm good news out of, out of Minnesota. Um, the rest here, uh, we have seen uh, in Maryland and Connecticut, uh, flavor ban bills have gone down. I think Maryland, the bill kind of died quietly. There's no official um, uh, note anywhere on the bill that the that it's that it's dead. Uh, but as far as I know, it didn't make the crossover deadline, which is going from you know one house to the other. Uh, it, it's not scheduled for any hearings, and so it, it appears as though SB 259 in Maryland 
is done for the year. Um, but like anywhere else, it, you know, the rules seem to be malleable and uh, some of this stuff may come back. Um, uh, the other win, which was kind of an early win, uh, was in Connecticut. Um, the flavor ban there uh, was shot down pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and what was that? HB 6488. Um, so February 1st is when it had a hearing and, and it hasn't hasn't really moved since then. And I, I think it is done for the year. Um, the other things, uh, some of the threats we're also watching. I know that Vermont has a flavor ban and I don't believe I don't have a, a call to action up for this unless I had it up very early. Um, but uh, there, there is movement in, in Vermont. I think uh, we saw some people um, uh, testified or spoke to the committee on that um, this week. Um, so no substantive update there other than Vermont is looking at a flavor ban. Um, Hawaii uh, is notoriously difficult to track because every bill seems to get like a dozen committee hearings before it, it gets to the floor. Um, but we had uh, a flavor ban and a tax uh, in in um, in Hawaii. And one of the things, the interesting things that, that was done to both of those bills was they moved the effective date to the year 3000, um, which is apparently not just a sketch on the Conan O'Brien show. Um, it is a legitimate uh, effective date when you want to keep the conversation going. So that's what was done in Hawaii. But at the same time, the sort of stopping the forward progress of those bills means that uh, it's that now things have shifted. And so trying to get a handle on what's going on in Hawaii, if you if you live in Hawaii, look for updates on on your calls to action. Uh, there is a wholesale tax and I believe there is still a flavor ban proposal, but the bill numbers have changed. And again, it's it's very difficult to just get a hold of of, of legislation in Hawaii because of how many different committees things go to and how many changes can happen along the way. So um, I am I'm fairly certain that I'm leaving things out, but I did want to at least end on I, I, my observation of what we've seen in committee hearings around the country this year. Um, some of it I've seen and some of it I, I've sort of caught, you know, secondhand through people chatting about it. Uh, and that is, you know, the longer the longer we still have access to these products, the, the longer that people can go out and find alternatives to smoking, be it nicotine pouches, snooze, smokeless tobacco, or vaping, uh, and, and of course, most, most commonly vaping, the more data we're getting about how people are quitting smoking and improving their lives and, and how this is an effective way, this needs to be an effective strategy to improving public health. So the more that we are learning about this, the more that gets published in journals, the more ridiculous the arguments sound coming from Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, Truth Initiative, and the body parts groups. Um, I, I, I know that, you know, as an observer, I'm biased because of my experience and because this is my job, but you, you just kind of have to put yourself in the, in the position of, of lawmakers sitting on the committee and listening to the conflicting information and the very obvious you know, the contradictions that these groups are presenting when you do have an FDA that has authorized products that are marketing these products is appropriate for the protection of public health by the FDA standard, which is mandated by Congress. It's it's really hard for all of these arguments to, to continue to, to hold up. And I think lawmakers are getting hip to this. And one of the things that I, I'm I'm 
I, I, I like to say is that, you know, just as all of us know someone who has died early because of smoking, more and more people know somebody who quit smoking and switched to vaping or, or some other smoke-free product. So this has been honestly, like it is, it is the most grassrootsy, low budget strategy that we've all had all along, whether you're talking about the industry trade groups or groups like CASA, some of the other groups that did that, you know, haven't lasted as long. The strategy has always been make this issue bigger, too big to fail in a way that, the, you know, the, the, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Too many people are, are using these products the way that, 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 they're really intended. Uh, and and, and uh, along those lines, uh, we're really just buying more time. Uh, and, and you know whether that was pushing back deadlines or just keeping the products moderately legal enough so more and more people can switch. Uh, and, and I think you know it really has been a long slog, but I think we're very, very slowly starting to see small successes. And I, I just want to, first of all, say thank you to all of our members who've ever participated in any of our calls to action. If you've ever shown up at a hearing, if you've ever written an email or made a phone call, thank you for participating. It absolutely makes a difference. It's so small and incremental, you, would, you, you can't be faulted for missing it. But I think it is happening. And we just got to stick it out a little bit longer. Keep, you know, keep grinding it out. And, and at some point, we're going to get we're going to get policies that actually do benefit people. Um, so that that's my uh, rosy, uh, rainbow-esque take on the legislative rundown this week. I, I hope I don't get um, completely slammed down next week and somebody passes something horrible. Um, but for now, uh, I think, you know, overall, it's working. It, everything that we've been doing for more than 10 years, I think, is starting to pay off. Um, and, and hopefully sooner than later, you know, we'll get what we need. So with that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, you're right, man. You know, it's, it's incremental. Um, it's, it's grassroots as fuck. And I'm going to get yelled at by Julie for <laughs> dropping the F bomb. I know it, but that's, that's it. That's what Kasa is. That's what we all are. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing about us without us. It's an each one teach one process. You know, as, as we go through the years, like you said, we all, we all knew somebody, um, you know, who's passed away uh, from smoking. I've had multiple grandparents go. Um, and and now we, most of us, I think, know somebody or or maybe work with somebody, friends with somebody, family with somebody uh, who's quit smoking with this. And it's, it's all that real world evidence accumulation uh, that really makes people kind of question, uh, lawmakers included, what they're hearing on, you know, a, a, a truth commercial or something like that. You know, I have people that I work with that when I first started vaping told me this thing is going to kill me. And now I'm going on six years and they're more and more curious about quitting smoking themselves with these products. And that's what it takes. It's that real world evidence of seeing somebody. Oh, wait, you didn't you didn't drop down dead. You don't need a double lung transplant. You know, you didn't you didn't get popcorn lung, all of these things. No, you know, it's I just quit smoking, man. That's it. You know, and, and, and it, it really is truly, um, you know, that, that long slog, you're right, but we're getting there. We are getting there. Yeah. Um, you just, you can't run from the evidence forever. That's the bottom line. So, yeah. 
So. Uh, with that, I guess it's spiel time. Thank you, everybody, for uh, for joining us today. And thank you for everybody in the replay crew who's going to be tuning in, who just watched all of this. Thank you um, to everybody out there. Uh, I guess first off, if you're not a member of CASA, you're doing everything wrong. Head over to CASA.org and sign up to become a member today. I'm sure everybody in this chat right now is currently a member of CASA, so thank you. But if you're not... It's free. Go sign up. We promise to not fill your emails every day. Uh, just what you need to know when you need to know it and how to get involved. Um, aside from that, we also have state groups for every state and territory here in the United States. So join uh, your your Facebook state group. It's another great way to get involved and stay informed. Uh, if you are hip to donations, we love those. Those are sweet. But you can also check out our merchandise store where you get to be a walking billboard of tobacco harm reduction, which helps benefit everybody who sees you and helps benefit CASA to continue doing all the things that we do here. Um, outside of that, I guess two weeks from now, we'll be back. Uh, this uh, this replay is available on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and audio versions wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, I guess that's it, right? Did I cover all the bases? Did I say all the things? I think you got it. Yeah. Good I job. think I got it. Yeah. Cool. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for us. Till next time. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being amazing. Be excellent to each other. And we will see you guys in two weeks. Same time, same place. 